people. This morning, I'd like to uh, hit your heart up front and start off with a, with a question of eternal significance. Did anybody see any good movies from the break? Justin set a precedent with an interaction to start with, so I figure I'll roll with that. I mean, any, anybody see any good movies? Unbroken. Unbroken? Man, I want to see that. That looks powerful. What else? What's that? Oh yeah, my wife, uh, she sat in front of Hallmark quite a bit when she was wrapping presents and stuff. I always more presents to about that. She loved those movies. Anybody else? Oh man, that one sounds wild. Taken three. The Hobbit. The Hobbit. I love that movie. That was the one that we went to go see. Anybody else see The Hobbit? Got a few hands out there. Anybody else like The Lord of the Rings? That's good. That's good. Um, Hobbit. Um, love that movie. Uh, Hobbit number three. I mean, I, Lord of the Rings, I watched the animated version when I was a little kid and uh, read the books later, right before the first Lord of the Rings came out. And here, like 10 years later, the sixth movie has come out. I mean, that's a um, great adventure story. Um, you know, heroes and good versus evil and little midgets coming in and saving the day while you've got the big powerful battles going on. I mean, this is great stuff. We love The Hobbit. These are great stories that J.R. Tolkien wrote. Uh, got a picture of, of Tolkien I want to share with y'all. There's Tolkien, and uh, he's, he's the guy on the left. The guy on the right is one of his good buddies who also wrote uh, some incredible stories. Any guesses on who that might be? That's C.S. Lewis. That's right. Also, an author of some of my all-time favorite stories, uh, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I mean, I read those as little kids. I'm like, wow, these are cool stories. And then I went back to them a few years later, and I'm like, wow, there's some deep theology in these, these, uh, these stories. Uh, I mean, I, I think these are two of the greatest writers uh, in general, not just of stories of the last century. Um, and they were such good friends. And Tolkien, uh, you know, he was a Christian first. He knew the Lord first. And he, uh, you know, he really uh, cared about his friend Lewis, and he was trying to convince him um, to know our Lord, to know this great story. And I have this quote. Um, uh, it's from a professor, a friend of mine, Mary Jones, in the book that he wrote, Dwell, where he, he kind of recounts um, a time when, when Tolkien and Lewis were walking together with one of their friends. And it says, as they walked... Dyson, the friend, and Tolkien sought to persuade Lewis that the stories they loved were all, in fact, pointers to the true or to the, to the story that's true. They suggested that the universal longings embedded in the great myths of the world were met in history in the incarnation. Wow. I mean, this man, he knew stories, wrote some of the greatest stories. Uh, I got to enjoy a movie form this last week. <coughs> He saw all these stories as pointing to a story that's greater, an ultimate story. And he was desperately hoping that his writer friend would also discover that story. Um, C.S. Lewis later had this to say, another quote for you. <clears throat> I had just passed on from believing in God to definitely believing in Christ and Christianity. My long night talk with Dyson and Tolkien had a good deal to do with that. See, Lewis had discovered the greatest story ever told. And not only did he discover the story that, if you know anything about his writings I mean, he be and, and his, his life story, he began living this story um, in an amazing way. 
And he was, he was so touched when he discovered this story that he couldn't turn back. Um, he was living this story. Um, this Bible, this book that we have, it's not just a collection of good stories. It's not just a collection of 66 books from a bunch of different authors that had good perspective on the Christian life, whatever. This is one story. This is the story of God, the greatest story we'll ever know, the great redemptive narrative that our God has given to us. It goes all the way back to the very beginning, the beginning of creation, and it goes all the way to the end. You know, I took a church, church history class, and I was expecting to hear great things about Martin Luther and the reformers. We got there, but you know, he started um, in the very first moment of class saying, it begins in the garden, and it ends in a garden. <coughs> Everything else is in between this great redemptive narrative that our Lord has given us. That's the story that Tolkien and Lewis discovered and that they were living. Um, and that's the story that inspired their writings. It's pretty cool to see how they uh, reflect this story in their writings. <coughs> so this morning, we're going to look at a narrative um, within this, this great story uh, <coughs> where two men... They're living a lesser story. But they had an encounter with Jesus that brought them to realize the greater story in an amazing way. So we're going to turn to Luke chapter 24 this morning. Gospel of Luke. Uh, it's about three quarters of the way back. Let's see, I can believe page 1195. We have one of our cue Bibles. Um, <clears throat> Gospel of Luke is was written by Luke the doctor. He also wrote... Acts. So he wrote quite a bit of narrative. And we're going to pick it up towards the end of these accounts. In the gospel, it talks of, of Jesus' birth. And then it goes into his life and ministry. And then his, his crucifixion, death on the cross, resurrection. And that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 24. These, are, these two men that we're going to encounter, uh, they were followers of Jesus. They weren't the apostles, but they were Christ followers. They were completely on board on what this... Uh, um, this, great, this great man was doing. They were really excited about Jesus. And they were Jewish. So Jews, every Passover, they would make their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And so they were doing that just as they always did. But this Passover was significant because they'd been hearing about the works and the miracles of Jesus Christ. And they believed him to be the Messiah. And they, I'm sure they were out there with many of the other, many of the other Jews at the beginning of the Passover. Um, you know, we celebrate Palm Sunday when uh, when we recount how, how they all celebrated the King riding in. Hosanna! He's here, and they were so excited because they were expecting Jesus to do something great. And then he gets labeled as a criminal and begins to get tortured and dies the most excruciating, embarrassing deaths possible on a cross. Can you imagine how this rocked their worldview? So we pick up the story after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. Let's begin in verse 13. These two men are on a journey. Now that very day, two of them were on their way to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and debating these things, Jesus himself approached and began to accompany them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing. So we don't have a lot of details about these two men. We do know they weren't apostles, because later one of them is identified, um, his name is Cleopas. 
we know that they're on their, on their way home to a town called Emmaus. We don't know exactly where Emmaus is now, but it says it was about seven miles. When you're on foot, seven miles is a pretty good journey. So they had a ways to go. So they were going home. And Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, he joins them on this journey. And he chooses to keep his identity hidden. They have no clue who they're talking to. <laughs> that he had fun with that. So they're on this journey. And Jesus baits them. The story continues. Then he said to them, What are these matters you're discussing so intently as you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? He said to them, What things? The things concerning Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. A man who, with his powerful deeds and words, proved to be a prophet before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Not only this, but it is now the third day since these things happened. Furthermore, some women of our group amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back and said they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. They clearly knew a lot about Jesus. They clearly knew a lot about what had been going on. I mean, they say that he was a man with powerful deeds and words, this is how Moses was described. Okay? So they're putting him at the top of the prophet list. They recognize him as a prophet before God and all the people. Of course, I see no mention of him as the son of God, but they see him absolutely a messenger of God who's been doing great things. Um, they recount all the events of everything that had happened with great clarity. I mean, they know what's going on, but they're missing so much of the story. Their version of the story was such a lesser story than what really happened, what like, you and I know actually happened that day, or during that week. Um, they were clearly aware that something significant was supposed to happen after Jesus' death, because they're talking about the tomb. They're talking about the third day. So they were expecting something. They didn't recognize that this empty tomb meant that God's plan had been moving on just as it had been foretold long ago, and Jesus, just as Jesus had been telling them, this is going to happen. Somehow they're missing it. They're not connecting the dots. Where did they fall short? Where did they fall short? I think part of the problem, the biggest problem, is their expectations. What does it say? <coughs> it said uh, in verse 21, We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Not only this, but it is now the third day since these things happened. We hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. Do you want to smack him? Or laugh at him? Guys, he did redeem Israel. That's what happened. It was the, the Son of God came to earth, took on flesh, lived the perfect sinless life. And it was his shed blood on the cross that redeemed us for our sins. I mean, here we sit back knowing our Bibles a little bit. We know this. He did redeem you guys. Don't you get it? It's all right in front of you. <laughs> Literally, Jesus is right in front of them. They don't get it because their expectations are in the way. 
You know, I have this problem all the time where I get so wrapped up in my expectations that I have trouble seeing God's plan when it's right in front of me, when God's doing great things right in front of me. Think of Bilbo Baggins. Got a quote here to show y'all. Bilbo, at the end of the, the Hobbit story, he's, he's there with Gandalf, and he says, I think I know how I want my story to end. And he lived happily ever after all his days. Well, that sounds nice, doesn't that? Uh, I know how I want my story to end. Uh, successful. <clears throat> A good retirement. Perfect health till I'm whatever age, and then I just slip away in the, uh, the middle of the night. Um, success. Everything going right. I mean, we're always writing our stories about what, what we think it should look like and what we want it to look like, right? That's what's going on with Bilbo. But the problem is, Bilbo wasn't the author of this story. I mean, yeah, we see this picture here. Bilbo's always writing a story, and it, it, he thinks he's writing the story, but he's not the author of the story. Tolkien is the author of the story. And Tolkien clearly recognizes that in the great story that we have, we aren't the author of the story. There, there is an author, and he is great, and his plan and his story is so much better than all the stories that we write for ourselves. And um, so I don't think it's any coincidence that in the, the following story that he wrote, The Lord of the Rings, the heroes of those stories, Frodo and uh, Samwise Gandalf, <coughs> or Sam, right? Um, they recognized that they were part of something bigger. And they were, they were all about playing their role. Let's look at that next quote that I have. This is kind of a collection, because they often talked about the story that they were living in. And here's Sam talking to Frodo. What a tale we've been in, Mr. Frodo. I wish I could hear it told. We hear about those as, as just went on, like, like old Mr. Bilbo, but those aren't always the best tales to hear, though they may be the best tales to get landed in. I wonder how it will go after our part. Isn't that cool? I wonder how it will go after our part. Sam recognizes that they're part of this great story that's being told, and they're just playing their part. And just doing their role. Tell you what, it did not go well in the Lord of the Rings for Sam or Frodo. I think Frodo lost a finger. I mean, he was pretty, uh, pretty wretched if you saw the movie. Um, here's Sam carrying his buddy up to the volcano. They think they're going into the volcano. But they're just playing their part. Frodo, many times in the story, talks about, you know, this is my burden to bear. This is the ring that I need to carry. I need to do this. Heroic. Just hobbits. Nothing significant, but this was the role that they were meant to do. I want to have that attitude. What's the part that God has for me? What's the part that God has for you? It may not sound significant. It may sound monotonous. It may sound pretty not glamorous. But God's doing great things. And to be part of his plan, to be part of his story and the way he's designed it, that's powerful. That's awesome stuff. Let's return to the narrative. Beginning in verse 25. So, these two men have expressed their lesser story. Jesus jumps in. <clears throat> he said to them, You foolish people, how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, 
beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. Jesus corrects them. Guys, yeah, you know a lot about the story. Yes, all these observations are true, but you've not seen the big picture. You know all these facts, but unless you know how they all fit together, great things are going on, and you're a part of it. If you know the full story, you would have known that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and die. If you know the full story, then, then you know that redemption was by the shed blood on the cross. If you know the full story, this empty tomb means that the Savior has risen. This is good news. And you're so focused on your expectations, you're missing it. So what does Jesus then do? He walks into the story. You know, I look at this, and just real briefly, okay, so it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets. And so I'm thinking, okay, so we're talking about the Exodus story and then some prophetic messianic prophecy. That's not what it's saying here. Beginning with Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Prophets, they were the ones, you know, all the Old Testament authors, and we, we know them as prophets. Um, so when it says Jesus walked them, beginning at Moses through the prophets, he walked them through the story. Started at the very beginning. He showed them how in the beginning, in creation, you know, God created everything, the entire universe. He created people to bear his image. He put them in a garden to have a perfect relationship with him. And then people rebelled. Sin entered the world. Crushing blows, separating us from God. The situation was as dire as it could get. Out of the garden, um, death is a repercussion. Bad business. But in the midst of all this, in the midst of the consequences, God says, I have a redemptive plan. He gives hints of that redemptive plan at the very beginning. Even in Genesis 3, when everything's bleak. And he starts building on those promises as we walk through the Old Testament. And everything is pointing to Jesus. Everything is pointing to what Jesus, Son of God, is going to do on the cross to redeem all people, save people from their sins if they will just turn to him and get on the right team. Turn to the king and be with the king and be on the right side of the story. And then it doesn't end there because the death on the cross was just the beginning of the great things that Jesus was going to do because now we're in a period where we're going to share this good news with, uh, with all nations and in the end, he will come again. It's going to be incredible. It's going to come as king. And that's going to be the end of a pretty powerful story. So Jesus walks them through the Old Testament. All the things that they should have known. He shows them how the pieces fit together. When we see the greater story, when we see the full story, all of a sudden these, little, these stories that we know, all these, these passages that we read, I mean, this is incredible stuff. And we get to be part of it. These guys were part of it. They had no clue they were going to be in Scripture. Here they are. Uh, don't know anything about these guys. Don't even know guy number two's name. The guy used to. Right. Yeah. So, how are you going to discover a greater story this year? There are so many ways to discover this story. What are you doing personally? What are you doing in your own um, devotional life to spend time with God and go deeper into this, into this story? Um, you know, I'd encourage you to, to have some kind of plan. 
we often talk about a, a morning quiet time. And that's awesome. I think the best way is to start the day. I'll tell you what, I usually don't do a, a morning quiet time because my kids are going to be up earlier than whatever time I think I'm setting the alarm. Um, I know many of y'all are out in the fields at crazy hours. Um, find whatever time works for you to meet with God and to go deep in the story. If it's not every day, just get a rhythm. But spend time with God in the story. Because when you spend time with God in the story, He reveals Himself in powerful ways. Um, a lot of people at the beginning of the new year like to, to start a reading plan. I'm going to read through the Bible in the year. Uh, I've started that three times. I've come close once. And uh, <laughs> I have read through the Bible, but not in the whole 365 year plan. Don't feel like if you start something and then you fall short, that that means that your whole plan is over. I was looking through the, I've heard a lot about the version app. I know many of y'all are already using that. Um, I was enlightened last night when I started looking through that. That app is cool. There are tons of reading plans in there. And not only that, um, if you don't have a, a big attention span and, you know, a year sounds pretty intimidating, I mean, they've got four-day plans, they've got month-long plans, they've got intensive on this plans, they've got devotional plans. Find something that works for you. Uh, that app is good, but you can find books, you can find recommendations on the internet. And don't try to make it too formal. Sometimes you just need to open up God's Word and get into it. I, you know, that was my problem in college. I would always get really ambitious and like, I'm going to have this plan where I read like half of this book and then this devotional reading and then I'm going to journal and then I'm going to do all these prayer requests. And then I realized that took an hour and a half and I just stopped doing it. Uh, just get in God's Word. Discover the story. We have many ways that you can discover the story deeper here at Houston Church. Uh, we have our Bible communities where we get to grow into the story as a, or learn the story, discover the story as a community together. Uh, we have those on Sunday morning before worship service. We have those on Wednesday night. Uh, mixed groups, some are just men, some are just women. A lot of different options, a lot of different topics. Um, they're all approaching this story from different angles. Find something that works for you. <clears throat> I do want to tell you, I am. Um, if you'd like to know more about how the story fits together, I uh, highly recommend this for new Christians. I also highly recommend it for folks that have been around for a long time and just kind of need a firmer foundation to see how it all fits. I'm going to be teaching a class on Wednesday night called Foundations. It's going to be the beginning of a track that we, we offer to just get the basics of the Christian life. Uh, foundations, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll do eight weeks where we just walk through these main themes of God's redemptive narrative. Creation, fall, promise, redemption, reconciliation, restoration. We'll just walk through it, see how it all fits together. So if that's something you're interested in, that will start when Wednesday night at Houston kicks off. But all of our classes, um, they're tremendous. And they'll take you deeper into this story. So find what, what works for you. Um, and parents, if you have students uh, that are going to the um, Houston Youth on Wednesday night, they're going to be doing, they have a discipleship plan for this semester, which begins with four weeks where they will discover this story as one grand narrative. So just so you know, that's what they'll be learning. In. So you can, you can talk with them about that. It's been doing the Gospel Project. Um, ever since fall. We're going to be doing that again. Love this curriculum because it walks them through the Bible and everything pointing to Christ. And so you know, we're, we're trying to, uh, to help them see this grand narrative uh, that we ought to be a part of. And parents, 
We want to equip you to discover the story together with your kids and to continue the conversation after Wednesday night. There is a mention it periodically, but there's, there's an app for tablet, smartphone, whatever, um, that gives you a few devotionals as follow-up to what they're learning on Wednesday nights with the Gospel Project. We're going to start on the Facebook page and the paper letting you know what they're learning, what they're talking about, so you can discover this story together as a family. That's powerful when you start growing together in community. So many options. Find something. Discover this story this year. <clears throat> Discovering the story isn't the end, though. It's not the end for us. It wasn't the end for these two men. Let's look further into this, uh, this narrative of these two men on the road to Emmaus. So they approached the village where they were going. He acted as though he wanted to go further, but they urged him, Stay with us, because it is getting toward evening, and the day is almost done. So we went in to stay with him. When he had taken his place at the table with them, he took the bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. At this point, their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. Then he vanished out of their sight. They said to each other, Didn't our hearts burn within us while he was speaking with us on the road while he was explaining the scripture to us? See, Jesus still hadn't... Um, shown his identity to them when he, he walked into the scripture. But they needed this table. Jesus had previously said, I'm the bread of life. I don't think this is a coincidence. They're having fellowship together. And then, after they, they know the story, then he reveals himself to them. When we discover the story, that God reveals himself to us in incredible ways. No, we will never have this really cool experience on the probably, on the road to wherever you're going where Jesus is just going to show up and start talking to you about Scripture. That would be cool. But we have God within us. When you are in Christ, when you are a Christian, you got the Holy Spirit within you. You start reading God's Word, and God will speak to you in powerful ways, probably more powerful than this amazing encounter. God within you. It says, when they recognize Jesus, their hearts are burned within them. I don't know what that means. I know it's not heartache or whatever when I would, from bad meat or whatever, where I would use the term, but I can guess probably similar experience to uh, I'm reading God's word and the Holy Spirit reveals himself and says, yes, I'm speaking to you. And I just, I just know it. And it's just incredible. I'm sure it's the same kind of experience. God speaks to us. He reveals himself to us when we discover his word. And like I said, discovering the story wasn't the end for them. It's not the end for us. <clears throat> Let's finish this narrative. So they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together and saying, they were saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. These guys were going from Jerusalem Back home to Emmaus, back home to whatever responsibilities they may have. I have no clue what their responsibilities were. Did they have a family? I don't know. But they stopped everything when God had revealed himself to them. And they had to tell people. So they went straight back to Jerusalem. And of course, Jesus is not, he's resurrected, so he's not contained by space. And he's also revealed himself to the apostles in Jerusalem. They said, yes, we've already seen him. We've seen him too. They shared their experiences. When we have an encounter with God, which we, which we can have through his word, we must tell people. 
That's what they did. They'd, been, they'd had an encounter with the good news and they had to share it. It may not, for, for those of us that have been Christians, it may not, for a while, it may not be as dramatic um, as this kind of experience, but that doesn't lessen the need to tell people how we see God, how we see Him working in our lives. People are so encouraged and we grow when we hear the testimonies of others of how God is revealing Himself to you in your life. We have to share. So we hear nothing more about these men, but they did their part and God used them in a powerful way. They discovered the story, they were living the story. I want to share a quote by a guy named Eugene Peterson. Uh, some of you may be familiar with Eugene. He is famous for writing the message translation of the Bible. He's a brilliant scholar, brilliant uh, <coughs> professor of, of knowing the Bible deeply. And he wrote the message because he wanted people to be able to engage it as story deeply. And this is when Eugene had to say, Christian spirituality does not present us with a moral code and tell us, live up to this, nor does it set out a system of doctrine and say, think like this, and you will live well. Instead, the way of Christian formation is to tell a story, and in the telling, to invite the hearer. <coughs> invite the hearer, live into this. This is what it looks like to be human in this God-made and God-ruled world. This is what is involved in becoming maturing as a human being. God doesn't want us to just know the story. And it's not a story just about a bunch of rules. It's not just about theology and doctrine. This is a story where God wants us to live into, to find our identity in the story. It makes me think of Philippians 2. One of the greatest passages about who Christ is and what he had done. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Christ Jesus had, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something he grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave, by looking like other men, and by sharing in human nature, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And when, when Tolkien and Lewis recognized that all these stories that they that they hear about and that they enjoy, that they point to something greater. What did they see in all these other stories? <coughs> what did they see in the, the ultimate story? I think a good story um, revolves around heroic self-sacrifice. That's what we see in Philippians 2. The greatest story has the greatest act of heroic self-sacrifice when Jesus Christ came to earth, took on human flesh for us because he loved us so much and died on the cross. That is the ultimate pearl of self-sacrifice. Um, that's the plot of this narrative. But our subplots, we have subplots where we're also called to live the story and also exhibit heroic self-sacrifice. What does heroic self-sacrifice look like in your life? It looks different for you than what it looks like for me and the guy down the street. What does it look like for you this year? Maybe it means loving and leading your family in more intense ways, spending time with your, your family. Um, maybe it means going into the mission field. <coughs> maybe it means just going across the street and sharing the love of Christ in tangible ways with your neighbor. Maybe it means changing that fifth diaper of the day. Maybe it means 
spending more time uh, in your community of faith, in your church, and contributing and serving in powerful ways. I think we're all called to different levels of heroic self-sacrifice, but it's in these subplots, in these moments, this is what points to the greatest act of heroic self-sacrifice and the greatest story ever told. Living this great story is costly. It doesn't always sound glamorous. But when you get into it, when you start living it, just like, like Sam and, and Frodo, um, you recognize that you're part of something great and it's just incredible. It's not always fun, but you know you're part of something amazing. God's story. So I pray that in 2015 you're able to discover the story in amazing ways. Just and to meet the author of this story in profound ways, experiences love, and that you're able to live this story. Please pray with me. God, we thank you for your great love for us, and that you've written this book, and that we know you have victim, and it's an incredible story. Lord, help us to know this story deeper, to know you deeper, to know our Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, whose incarnation and then death on the cross, the greatest act of heroic self-sacrifice. Help us to live the story and find out what our subplots are. What's our, how are you calling us to live in this story? Amen. Houston Kid.